I remember being a burnt-out youth pastor and listening to a speaker talk about Mary of Bethany. I'd already announced my resignation and was finishing out the last few months of the youth year. As he talked about intimacy with Jesus, he talked about how Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. And he began to describe what it was like to be so in love with him that you could get lost in his presence for hours. Honestly, I had no idea what that experience would be like personally, but in my heart I knew that if Jesus was truly who I believed he was, nothing would make more sense than that. Nothing could be more important, and nothing could be more central to the Christian life than simply to be before him. I knew I didn't have that understanding of Jesus yet, but I knew that I wanted it, and it was a starting point for me on the journey of going deeper in prayer. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond and strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name's Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. And today we are joined by my very good friend, our very good friend, Joel Augustine. Welcome to the Roundtable, the Burning Rooms Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Joel. Joel. <laughs> we are so glad to have you, Joel. And while we may know you really well, we just want to give a quick introduction to our listeners. Uh, Joel, you've been with the House of Prayer how long? I've been here in the House of Prayer for 2000, since 2006. Wow. So pretty a much a long time. Many years. Beginning? Yeah. From the very beginning, I was here along with Johan and Jehu and a bunch of others. Awesome. And, and what do you do here at the House of Prayer? Uh, currently, I uh, am the prayer room coordinator, where I give um, direction and oversight over uh, the singers, worship leaders, the worship teams, intercessors, everybody else that kind of fills some sort of role within the prayer room. And do you like that role? I do. For some reason, I mean, the Lord has kind of put me in this uh, position, and I guess it just comes together with the help of Holy Spirit. So... Before we get deeper into this conversation, I just wanted to bring to your attention that we got an email this week from our friend Carmen from Saskatoon. Uh, They go on to say, hey, Burning Rooms folks, just want to let you know that I have been feasting on the podcast lately. It's so good to hear your voices and feel that connection across the spaces between us. We are family. Lots of love and respect from Saskatoon. So, Carmen, thank you so much for your email. We are so encouraged to hear from people and... If any other listeners want to get a hold of us, we would love to hear from you as well. Just go to our website, burningrooms.ca, and you'll find out how to get a hold of us. So today we are going to discuss something that is uh, dear to Joel's heart and and mine and many others listening. Uh, We're going to talk about the centrality of sitting at the feet of Jesus. In, In a house of prayer context, in a church context, wherever you are, you can find yourself running around in circles feeling busy, and, and you know, you get that, that need to really put your hand to the plow and, and do a lot of work. What can often get lost in that is the importance of actually just sitting at Jesus's feet, sitting before him and, and just enjoying his company. Sometimes he just wants to still us and slow us down. So we're going to have a little bit of a conversation around that. So for those listening in with us who maybe aren't familiar with the story, we're talking out of Luke 10, uh, verse 38 and onward, where Jesus is going to meet Mary and Martha. And so it starts like this. 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him in her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. When Jesus spoke to Martha in Luke 10, he told her only one thing is necessary. Joel, maybe we can throw that question to you first. So, you know, you're our guest. Why do you think he said one thing was necessary? Well, in the context of the of what was read there, there was an option to sit. There was an option to serve, like Martha. I think we tend to get in the way of of um, hearing, of listening, anything. I think we are uh, people that tend to get busy. Uh, we tend to move around. We get distracted very easily. And I'm not saying that Martha was doing something wrong. I think that our tendency as as humans, we cannot sit still. So I don't think even you're immune from the issue. Uh, like, you know, we have you in a, as our guest because we think that in a lot of ways you do have this as something that you carry. This is a message that you believe is important. But you mentioned you're the prayer room coordinator. Uh, there's a lot of different things, administrative, uh, people-wise. And so I think for you, there's a real tendency to become that servant, to become that person running around, busy doing things in the prayer room. I mean, you're literally the prayer room coordinator. And so how do you find time to make sure that you don't just become someone serving while others are actually meeting Jesus? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I believe that I have to fight for my time to be in the chair, to sit and engage with the Lord, to actually fellowship with Him in prayer, in worship, um, those times in the secret place, those are very important. Um, just because the tendency for me is to, uh, be busy, to be very active and fellowshipping with one another, making sure everyone's doing okay. And all just the, the intricacies of how a, f- a prayer room functions and how it, uh, sustains itself throughout the entire day. Now you got new people coming in quite often throughout the, many years that you've been the worship coordinator, some of them want to get involved right away when they get in. It might be their tendency to want to get involved and, and you know, just keep busy in the house of prayer. What are some of the things that you tell them when they're coming in to take this posture of sitting at, at Jesus's feet? Yeah, I, I would really encourage them before um, getting involved on stage or whatnot on a worship team, I would really stress the importance of sitting in the chair. There is something about sitting to find rest, to actually engage themselves with the Lord that is not doing other tasks at hand. I think there is something about finding themselves sitting and and being before the Lord and having that dialogue in the secret place. So, houses of prayer in Canada specifically, and in many small towns, they tend to be a lot smaller than than like the IHOPs and the bigger houses of prayer. So getting people on stage is often very important because they just need the resources. How would you prioritize that when when you don't have many people to run your prayer meetings, uh, yet you know they need to sit before the Lord? Like wh- what's a priority for you when you when you talk to them? 
I think sometimes it depends on the season that the prayer room is in. I know for us, we found it works really well in the summertime to have more Devo scale back sets. And it allows people some time during the, the summer months to sit in the chair and to just encounter the Lord. Because if you have a full team, right, you've got drummer, bass, guitar, maybe two guitars, three singers, a, a worship leader, a prayer leader, a sound technician, a slides person. I mean, you could be rocking 10 people on a set easy. But if you have a devotional, it could be one person on there just doing their thing. And so it allows those other nine people a chance over the summer to to recharge, to reset, to sit in that chair. But it is a really good question in terms of the rest of the year. How do you find time? Um, and I don't know if we've necessarily always have a, have a concrete answer for that. I mean, I know you probably have some tips, but but overall, I think it is a challenge. What do you think, Joel? Yeah, it is, it is very much a challenge to want to put people on stage right away or to actually hold them back and find out first if they actually understand what's actually happening in the room. There's values that come behind in the place of, of sitting in the chair first. And I would very much stress that, that idea of like, there's something to, to be um, gained through the act of sitting and receiving from the Lord in the place of sitting. So getting here back to our Luke 10 passage. So let's just have a conversation what does this look like for us in our context and, and in our journey in the house of prayer? How have we found the, the centrality of sitting before Jesus, this Mary and Martha story? Uh, where do we find ourselves in this story and in our context? So I know we've, we've probably struggled being the different people in this story, whether it's the disciples watching this whole thing unfold, or we're Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, or we're Martha and we're just busy serving all the time. At various times in our lives, we can probably find ourselves in different spots in this story. So let's talk about some of those things. Jehu, you mentioned off-air about some of the struggles that you have in your various seasons as someone that works full-time in the marketplace, and yet you're serving on teams, and and your wife is in school, and you're trying to balance all that. Well, yeah, I, I love sitting in the prayer room. I love just being able to open up my Bible, to pace back and forth, to sing along with the worship songs. For me, that's just, that's golden. I love that time. And during the summertime, we really get that because for our prayer room, we kind of take a bit of a break during the summertime. And so for two months, we dial back. We have mostly devotional sets. Uh, it really reduces the the people on stage, the people serving. And so there's really just one person in the room serving and everyone else gets to be that Mary. Everyone else gets to sit. But when the rest of the, of the year starts up, I'm a teacher, so I start teaching during the year. My wife's in school, so she's in her final year of nursing, which is pretty busy. And so on Sundays, for example, I show up and I do my set from three to four, where I play bass, and then I do my set four to five, where I do sound, and then I got to leave. Like, I got to get home. I need to help my wife with stuff. She's got assignments, cooking, all these kinds of things sort of take priority, and for me, I just, even reading the passage, I feel provoked because I miss that time. I miss being able to stay from five to six or miss that time being able to join in corporate worship, miss sitting and, and being able to read a passage like I would be able to in the summer. And so even just reading that passage, it is a, it's a good question because it's kind of like you're both Mary and Martha, right? There's, there's times when you need to serve and there's times when you need to sit, but if you're doing too much serving, like in the story, there's that that concern that you're missing it, that you're missing the one thing. And so even for myself, like it's a, it's an important thing to to think about. I don't know specifically what I'm going to do differently like next week, but I'm, I am convicted by the story because I don't want to be someone who just serves and sure I'm putting out all these things in the prayer room, but am I actually sitting there to meet Jesus? 
I mean, Joel, you probably know this better than most people because you're the program coordinator, which means that the people that are serving on teams, if they need to take a break or if they need to pull back a little bit, you're the person that they come and talk to. What has your experience been in in this story? And you could talk about it personally as well. Yeah, I think uh, for myself personally, um, my tendency is to always be very busy. Uh, So whether it is on stage playing the piano uh, singing on the line, trying to f- f- cover for the sound, run the slides, making sure people are doing okay pastorally. Like that's, that is my role. And I, I think that even though the roles that, um, I do are important and they, uh, fill the prayer room schedule, I find myself sometimes so caught up in the, the busyness and in the, the rigmarole. Of, of trying to make things work and trying to be very efficient, to be very, um, that there's, that's the human resource person in me where I just need everything to run like ship shape. It needs to just happen as it comes. And I want to make sure it works efficiently and I want to make sure it works proficiently as well. Well, and I think that's, it's a valid thing to want. Like, you need people to serve. You can't have a prayer room without people serving. And Mm -hmm. so, you need to schedule things. You need to have alternates. You need to do these kinds of things. But how do you make sure that there's still time for you to sit there? Like, I think that's, that's really the issue. It's not that, you know... We're all just should just stop serving and just sit in the room. Like then no one would be leading worship. Exactly. And I think that for myself personally, I had to really fight for my own time. And actually I had to stop being the pastoral person or the program coordinator at times. It's like I really just need to sit down before the Lord um, because this is my time too. And the Lord will value it whether it is an hour or 10 minutes, I think the Lord will really bless me in that process. Brian, Brian, you're someone that in your role in the House of Prayer, you tend to travel to other churches and do a lot of speaking, and you're not in the prayer room probably as much as you even want to be. Do you find you're missing some of that prayer room time when you don't get it, like the time before the Lord, the Mary time? Yeah, you I mean, I, w- I would like to say, you know, I, I just came into a House of Prayer and then everything just solved itself and it was great. But, but I find it is a... Uh... It, it is a, a challenge and something like that I actually have to like work for and fight for. And it's interesting when, when we have this discussion, like so many times in the past, I've, I've just heard people say things like, yeah, but we have to have our Marthas too. We, we have to have our Marthas too. And yet it's interesting because when you actually look at the passage, at no point in the passage does Jesus give any indication that Martha was in any way justified by what she was doing. Like she just doesn't. I'm a doer. But in, I, I cannot find any justification in that passage for running around and doing a lot of stuff. In fact, in John 15, Jesus said that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So my heart is as a revivalist. I want to I preach. I want to see the power of God move. I want to see people encountered with the Lord. I love doing stuff for God. And yet it's so clear to me as a, as a communicator of the word that Jesus says, if I'm not abiding in him, I can't do anything. And so, so that piece is something that, that provokes me constantly as, a, as an intercessor. It provokes me as, a, as someone who does travel and teach. And I find personally, like the, my, my biggest struggle for me actually is that it's really easy to have prayer time in the prayer room because it's right there for me. And I'm not on loads of sets. I do, I mean, I, I prayer lead on a few sets, but that's the time that I have with God. And I think one of my struggles is 
is how do I make sure that that's happening out of the prayer room all the time too? How do I make sure that that as someone who's in a house of prayer, that my devotional life and my quiet time with the Lord isn't limited to the prayer room? Because we do so much of it there, it can kind of be easy to say, well, I just spent three hours on Monday or four or five hours on on Sunday in the prayer room. I don't really need to do this the next day, right? And, and it's so so that's kind of where where my struggle is probably more along those lines of like, I want to be doing that all the time. I want to really understand what it means to abide in him and go after him in that way. So I feel like we might be talking about two different things even. Like there's the secret place, a place on your own time when you're at home in your prayer closet. Can you be a Mary in the actual prayer room? Because Jehu mentioned how we had those Devo sets where you can sit and be before the Lord. Do we need both of them? Like if there's enough prayer room hours with enough Devo sets, can we get our Mary time in the prayer room? Or do we also have to be doing it at home? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I always think it's tricky because we don't have 24-7. I think at IHOP, uh, where you have 24-7 prayer, you have much more flexibility there because you could say, you know what, I'm going to be the section leader for these two hours, and then I'm just going to pull into one of the side rooms, and I'm going to turn off my phone, and these two hours I am before the Lord. And I don't think you necessarily would have to have a specific time at home. You could just always be doing it in fellowship. The idea that, you know, we're believers, and and a lot of our expression is meant to be corporate, like we're worshiping the Lord together um, from that, that posture. And I think, honestly, at IHOP, if you have a family and you have responsibilities at home, being able to just say, you know, every thus and so time, I'm going to the prayer room and this is where I go and this is where I go to meet with the Lord. It's it's easier. It's harder. I'm I'm not saying it's it's easy, but there's there's an element there where you have a place to go. I think it's harder. Like how do you find it at home? I mean, Johan, you have three kids, you have a wife. Are you able to chisel out that time at home as consistently as if you had a, a prayer room to go to? I mean, it's always going to be easier if you have a prayer room with many hours where you can just pick and choose and you can bring your kids with quite often. Uh, luckily, I have a teenage son who loves being in the prayer room, so I, he just comes along whenever whenever I'm going. But in the midst of a family, like there's busyness, there's lots of activity. You got to have them at appointments and got to get them to school and you got to have dinner on the table. Kids got to eat. I find, like, I still need my time. I, I go to my office, which is kind of secluded in the house. It's a quiet place. I close the door and I have my time there. So it's definitely necessary, even not just as a worship leader and someone who's full-time in the house of prayer, but also as a father, like, to have that time in my house where it's just me and the Lord and He just washes over me and it gives me strength again to so I'm not angry with my kids, so I can... <laughs> I can be a good dad, essentially, in the home. You, you got to have that personal prayer, prayer life. And I mean, I think it could be done in a house of prayer context, too, if there's more hours. It's a matter of connecting with the Lord wherever you're at. And if there's more distractions, then you probably need to change something up. Yeah, no, I, I believe that um, so much what Jehu said earlier about the specific seasons of life that we enter into, um, we have to make it work somehow, whether it is, you know, only Sundays and Mondays during the when the prayer room is open or when you are driving in the car. For me, that is where I connect with the Lord the most. I remember, Joel, you would uh, tell me that you would take laps around the perimeter sometimes. Yes, it's probably not really efficient, though, gas wise. But uh, my times in the car whether it is a 10-minute ride or whether it is, you know, me driving down the highway somewhere to wherever location, um, that is where I really connect and commune with the Lord in in that. Because 
yes, we do not have a permanent location. The atmosphere at home is not the most ideal place to have one-on-one, like, like quiet time with the Lord. And so you just kind of have to make it work. And I know that the Lord will honor wherever you engage your heart with him, regardless of location, uh, regardless how long it is going to be. Um, because the Lord fully knows the seasons that we're, of life that we're in. And it's like he, he just wants fellowship regardless. Whether it is five minutes, whether it is an hour, the Lord is longing for us to dialogue and to connect our hearts with his. I feel like uh, there is grace for those seasons, the busy seasons when you don't have the time. And, and I actually went through this with our interns. We're running an internship right now. And I went through a list of about 10 three-second prayers that I like to use when things get busy, when things get challenging time-wise to find time with the Lord. Just three-second prayers that you can use throughout your day and just, it's like, Lord, I love you. Or, Lord, what's on your mind right now? Or, what are you thinking of me right now? Or, what do you think of that person? Just ways that you can connect with the Spirit, man, living inside of you. I think that's a good way to have communion with with the Holy Spirit, especially when things get really busy. Yeah, And, and I think for myself, and everyone's different in how they approach us, I think, because we're all wired differently. But I feel like for myself, I, I always want to be careful as someone who works in a host of prayer full time that my relationship with God is not limited to my work hours. Hmm. And because, and it's more than work hours. I mean, it, it's weird, right? Because the, the ministry thing, we're, we're ministering to the Lord and we're not doing it because it's a job. Like we were all doing this before we were getting, for those of us who are raising support, we were doing this before we were getting paid for it. This is just our heart and our life. Yeah. But I find for me, um, and other people don't feel this distinction at all, and I, I, I love that. Like, but, but for me, it, it feels like, well, this is a job when I'm here. I'm supposed to be here, and I, and so I feel like it's really important for me. Like some of my Bible reading that I do, stuff like that, that I'm making sure I'm doing it out of the prayer room because if I'm, if one day I'm out of this position, I don't want to be out of my relationship with God, and I don't want to have a professional relationship with God. I want a personal relationship with Him, and so for me, that that means I, I do the personal stuff absolutely in the prayer room, but I, I want to have and keep growing in an expression of it outside of the prayer room as well. There, there's a piece that um, Leonard Ravenhill said as well, and he was just talking about it in the context of intercession, and he said that the, the key to praying powerful prayers in public is to pray in private. And, and I just, I really take that to heart, like the, especially in, in our intercession model where we're, we're going up there and praying on a mic, and I want to learn from one of the masters of it that it was the long hours of prayer that he did when no one else was looking, wasn't in a prayer room, it was by himself in a hotel room or at home or whatever. It's actually where he found his authority so that he could pray in front of people and things would move and shift in the spirit all over the room because he was rooted uh, deep in the secret place. Well, I think what you're saying is is kind of interesting. I remember reading a book on pastors' kids and the different challenges both pastors and their kids face uh, when leading leading a church. And I think one of the things they talked about was how pastors and pastors' kids, like you said, they have to be careful that their relationship with God doesn't become professional because it is part of their job that it doesn't become only about their job. And I think generally there's there's probably a lot of resources out there for pastors. Um, I would like to think that they know that this is a danger and it's something to be aware of, but I've never thought of it in terms of just regular people who are attending the house of prayer. But I think what you're saying is really important advice, whether you're on staff or you're not on staff. Uh, that was the discussion we had before. I think making sure that your connection with the Lord is not justified by your contributions to the house of prayer, because otherwise you can fall into that trap of, well, you know, I did my thing on Sunday. So, and even I did it on 
on Monday and then Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday. And okay, well, that was my relationship with God. I've, I've fulfilled my obligation or, or even if it's out of a positive place, you feel like you can check that off the box. But like you said, if you one day are no longer on staff as that position, you want to have a vibrant place where you are sitting at the Lord, where you have times and habits and seasons to connect with him that's not connected to that, that title. Let me read a quote here from John Piper. Um, he says this, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And I think even just to connect it in, I think you could put the word intercession there. Uh, You can put missions as not the ultimate goal, but I also think intercession is not the ultimate goal, that worship is the ultimate goal. So what are our thoughts on that? I think this is this is such an important point to make, and, and I tell people this often, that ministry will chew you up and spit you out. And so often we make our ministry the, the focus, and, and that ministry might be your ministry as you're a worship leader. It might mean that your, your ministry is you're a, you're a missionary. Your ministry might be in your workplace. Your ministry might be in your home. Um, wherever your ministry is, if that becomes central, you're going to burn out. You won't be able to sustain a fiery heart for the Lord. Worship has to be at the center place. And how many missionaries have come back discouraged and burnt out and, and broken from their time on missions? How many pastors have gotten burnt out and, and, and had to resign their positions and never gotten into ministry again? Same with worship leaders. And, and so even people who, who seem to be like, you think they're around this all the time, right? I, I think the reality is, is that we were made first and foremost to worship God. And so when that happens, everything else falls into proper place. But when it doesn't, we run into trouble. I wasn't in the room when this happened, but I remember Brian telling the story of you, Joel, in the early days when when he discovered you. Uh, wow. <laughs> before you were thrust into this ministry position, uh, how you led worship, and he, he thought it was the oddest but most awesome thing that he's seen. It was very endearing when he talks about yeah, it. Yeah, it's very endearing when we talk. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there. listeners were talking about Brian Curry, not Brian Nystater, which Correct. is Correct, Brian Curry. So, you probably know the story better than anyone because you were there and none of us were. Can you maybe tell the story? Yeah, um, so I was part of a house group at the last church that I attended and Brian Curry was the pastor at the time. And I was asked to lead worship for this uh, evening and uh, how it was set up actually was... It was like this old school upright piano and it is facing the wall. And then all the chairs are now, um, they are seated around me. Like I'm actually behind me, actually. I'm not sure if you could visualize that, but the, the piano was at the wall. I'm facing the wall and now everybody is seating right around. And so, um, so Brian came one evening, you know, whoever was leading the um, the meeting, he said, okay, now we're just going to start. Uh, Joel's going to be leading us into worship and, you know, we'll just take it from there. So here I am. I am facing the wall, like literally facing the wall. Um, I don't see anybody's faces and all they see is my back and the piano. And um, so it was really, it was just really funny because it's like, I didn't plan it. It was just how it was situated in the room. But apparently it was only, it took like, I think what, 10 seconds or I don't know, or like, it was really, it was really quick. Brian's like, who is this guy? 
what's you know where was he from why was he where was he hiding and after the the worship session i guess he comes and talks to me he's like who are you where you come from and i know that the story was later on um he he gave me a prophetic word and he said to me like you're a priest and i've never heard that word at all before well i heard the word but i actually never understood what a priest meant um, I'm always thinking like the Roman Catholics and like those types of priests. But it, it was just an idea of like, you are one who will worship and the, there is the ministry before God. That is your role as a priest to stand, to serve, to minister and to burn incense. It's an offering of worship before the Lord. And you are demonstrating the action and the the role of what a priest does. And, and of course, like anyone who knows Joel knows that that's more than just like a, maybe it was a coincidence that the piano happened to be faced that way. But but knowing Joel over years, we just know this is who he is. He's just as comfortable. He's probably more comfortable in an empty prayer room on the piano, just singing love songs to Jesus than he is with people in the room, because it's it's just the heart that you carry. And whatever building you put Joel in, he'll find the one piano in the building and make sure he's there when no one else is. Uh, so if you want to sit in on one of his worship sets, you just got to go around in the middle of the night, maybe in a building somewhere where there's a piano <laughs> and he'll probably be there singing. It won't be on the schedule, but it's one of those secret prayer meetings. Secret yeah. sets. Or if your piano's been stolen, maybe hire him to find it. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. Probably not. <laughs> you never know. Well, thanks so much for jumping on for this episode, Joel. It was great to hear from you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's great to have you, Joel. Uh, so as we wrap up this episode... It's time for another... Wait, what does that mean? So today's word or phrase is geographical region. Now, Brian, if you're walking into a prayer room and people are using this odd phrase, geographical region, what might you think that they're talking about? Well, normally I just try to say the dumbest thing I can think about in this moment, but in reality, when you're praying for for your, your geographical region, what you're doing is is looking for a way to insert five extra syllables into your prayer. And so that's, that's really what geographical region is all about. So instead of saying, like, I don't know, I'm from, like, central Saskatchewan or I'm from Edmonton, and so I'm going to pray for my region that the Lord would break in with revival, just throw in geographical, and it adds five syllables, sounds more impressive, it's awesome. You've arrived. So I think I've heard you use that phrase in your prayers, is that... Is that something that you like to bring up? Well, yeah, yeah. Like if I want to add gravitas, yeah. you know, to my prayer and, and just sound really <laughs> anointing, let's just throw in some extra syllables. It's it's great. I always think it's it's intimidating when you're up on the mic. You know, there's people looking at you. You have to pray for a certain amount of time because if you do just 20 or 30 seconds, everyone's like, wait, you were supposed to pray longer. And you just start to search for extra words. It's one of those things where if you're just having a conversation with someone, you'd never say geographical. But when you're up in front of the population, you feel like you need to be impressive. You know, you get that prayer voice on, you know, it's, you, you get a little more intense, you furrow your brow and you throw geographical in there. I don't think it's coming from a bad heart place but sometimes it is i don't know <laughs> my secret is uh just slowing down to half time you know you slow down and you you make it sound like you're really thoughtful in your prayer too and it, it makes the prayer last longer so that's an excellent praying tip there yeah if you don't want to add extra weird words yeah. you could just pray slower i, I feel that, like we need jessica back for a praying tip with jessica right there right i don't think jessica would would do anything for that one. I, I don't know if she would agree with that one 
She's a pretty excellent parent. She can. Well, she's pr- not here, so let's just. No. Well, she can. <laughs> she can play full speed, and it can, it still match the length of my pair. So yeah, excellent. No deuce. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just for a bonus word, if you are looking to lengthen your prayers, this reminds you of another another phrase, phrase of course, which is healing in your physical bodies. Oh, don't get me started. Because it's it's healing in your body, but but not just your body, your physical bodies. Drives me up the wall. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. yeah. I, I've just I've just never gotten it. It's just like who who needs healing? Like and I guess you could say physical healing, but like healing in your physical body just seems like a good way to draw it out. Who do you think started that? It probably comes from the whole Greek divide that gets put in our language where we think the body is bad and the spirit is good. So if you're really tracing it there, it probably goes back to uh, that whole kind of Hellenistic, if you want a fancy word. Or it could be that, you know, someone say, he's going to heal you. And they think, oh yeah, he's going to heal my heart, heal spiritually. If they don't have much faith to see the body healed, mm. then, you know, you got to emphasize that saying, he's going to heal your physical body. He's like, did he just say physical like, I'm actually going to get physically healed? Like, it's not just going to be an ethereal idea of, of feeling better, you know? I just feel like I only have one body, and it's my physical body. <laughs> the physical body. Okay, well, we got two phrases in today. What a bonus. We got geographical region and healing in your physical body. Okay, uh, yeah. So, those are two new phrases that you're now familiar with in the house prayer, so... So as we close, I, I just want to let you guys know about a, a new podcast coming out out of Sanctuary House of Prayer. It's called Shopcast. Uh, came out October 11th. Make sure you check it out. We'll have in the show notes. Check it out. They're short 10 to 15 minute episodes with the director of Sanctuary House of Prayer, Brian Creary. And he's on there with his daughter and they talk about some of the most burning questions in the House of Prayer. So check it out. Until next time, my name's Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. I'm Joel. And this has been the Burning, burning Rooms Podcast. podcast.